about two months ago, I was driving from Turlings to Saint uh, to to the church, and this happens all the time, almost on a daily basis. And I, I usually take Alexander Street, and as you know, Alexander Street is um, pretty narrow. So I'm driving like a normal day. I've done this thousands of times, and just going along, and I'm going about I don't know 40 miles an hour, I guess, and um, all of a sudden, bam! I thought I got in a wreck. And suddenly I noticed that I hit a trash can. (laughs) Fortunately, only my mirror completely fell off and nothing else was harmed, but I felt so shook and also really embarrassed that this actually happened, that my mirror clipped the trash can and just fell off. And so, you know, I pulled over and went back to investigate. I got my broken mirror back and... um, I'm thinking, oh gosh, like, I wonder if anyone will notice me, you know, like, I hope no one recognizes it's me, but certainly, um, uh, of, of course, the, the person whose yard it was um, is outside just staring at me. <laughs> so we had a nice little comical exchange, and uh, fortunately, the trash can was unharmed, and my only uh, harm was my mirror wasn't on there. So... Of course, I call the, the parts, uh, you know, place where they can repair it, and uh, so they ordered a new mirror, and it took a while, you know, it took about two months, actually, for me to finally get my mirror. Just this week, I finally got my mirror back, so for the past two months, I've been too embarrassed to tell you that I have not had a mirror on my right side of the vehicle, and um, you got to know, that's difficult to drive that way. Wow, I mean, like, whenever you're driving down the street, I mean, you don't realize how much you use that mirror until you just don't have it. It was very difficult. But then I started thinking, you know, imagine if I would have never had a mirror. And I would have just always known only to drive without this mirror. I probably would have known, you know, since I wouldn't have known any other way, it just would have been a normal part of my life. And imagine if I would never had that mirror, got used to driving without it, but then one day got the mirror and suddenly was able to see in this new way. Imagine how much more incredible that would have been. Suddenly I would have noticed even more so how much helpful this mirror is. I think that a lot of times we don't realize how blind we are until we gain sight. And this is true for, you know, on a human level, this is true for people that uh, get glasses for the first time. They suddenly realize, wow, I, I can see, I can see now. Or sometimes people will say this after they get LASIK surgery. But it's also true on a spiritual level after a conversion. People will often, after a conversion, recognize, oh my goodness, how have I never seen like this before? How have I gone my whole life without seeing through this spiritual lens? How is this even possible? And it's amazing how how we don't even realize how blind we are sometimes until we gain sight. Today is a a beautiful story in the Gospels of one of Jesus' healings. I mean, Jesus healed all the time, but here's another one. But today in particular, Jesus heals a man born blind. And in so doing, Jesus, who is God, reveals that God brings light to our darkness. And I want to unpack that a little bit for you today, particularly through this scene, there's a few ways in which 
that's, that's particularly shown that Jesus reveals his divine power in order to show how God brings light to our darkness. So the first thing he does is that he, he spits on the ground and he makes clay. And he puts that clay onto the eyes of the man born blind. And this might seem odd, like who does this? Why, would, why is it necessary that spit is involved? But it does mimic the divine action of how God made Adam from the clay of the earth. And just as God brought life to Adam from the clay, Jesus brings sight to the man born blind with this clay. And very tangibly, touches his eyes with this clay and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So that's the second point. The pool of Siloam is significant because during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is happening at this time of the story, the pool of Siloam was especially important because what they would do during this feast, towards the end, it would kind of culminate with this ceremony in the temple. And at the inner court of the temple... They would pour these huge amounts of water onto that particular altar, and that water would flow all throughout the temple. And this would mimic the water flowing from the rock that Moses struck through at his time through the desert with the Israelites on their way from Egypt to the promised land, that God provided water for them from the rock. And this is all part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what water would they use as the source to pour all of that, those huge amounts of waters in the center court of the temple for the waters to be flowing? The water from the pool of Siloam. So I don't think it's an accident that Jesus connects this miracle to the pool of Siloam because there's a significance here of imitating the divine action of how God provides water from the rock. There's also significance that this man was born blind. Now, it's one thing to heal someone who once had sight and then through some type of illness, you know, started to lose their sight gradually. And, and you know, there were other people who would pray over people at this time and would bring healing by God's power through their prayer. And there were, you know, there were physicians and doctors that would try their best to bring healing to any type of illness. But it was unheard of. It was absolutely unheard of to bring sight to someone who had never seen before. To bring sight to someone who was born blind. That's only something that God can do. That's not something for doctors. And then all of this happens on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath has all these laws of, you know, what you should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And that was extremely important to the first century Jews. And you could not work and you could not heal on the Sabbath. But unfortunately, spitting on the ground and creating clay was considered work. And anointing a man with this clay onto his eyes and giving him instructions to seek further healing, that was considered healing. And so both of these actions were considered to be against the law of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is either like going against God or, as we know, it's not that. Instead, he's claiming equal authority to God, that he is above the law of the Sabbath. And even further, not just the Sabbath, Jesus chooses to do all of this within the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a Jewish feast 
that kind of culminated in this grand ceremony of light. And this ceremony of light would bring to mind the pillar of fire that led the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land. Particularly, this pillar of fire guided them in the night as they would travel through the wilderness. This was an image of God's presence with them through their difficult journey in the wilderness. And this Feast of Tabernacles calls all of this to mind as, the, as God being their light. And Jesus brings sight to a man born blind and in so doing tells his disciples that the reason that all of this is happening is so that the works of God can be manifested and that he, Jesus, is the light of the world making the work of God manifested. Jesus has all of these symbols running around in this story, and none of it is on accident, because God doesn't have accidents. He's very intentional, especially in the Gospels here. And as you can see, all of this is, is to be very specific to reveal to us that God brings light to our darkness. What is our darkness? Our darkness is sin, and our darkness is everything that keeps us from God. And the true light is the light of faith and the light of God's grace. But I want us to think for a moment, you know, I think all of us, we know what, what darkness is like. We know that even just on a human level, but we even know that in, in a spiritual level. Think for a moment, have you ever faced a decision that was difficult to make? And in trying to make that decision... Perhaps, did you, did you ask the Lord for any kind of guidance? And maybe as you asked the Lord for guidance, was it your experience that you still didn't have a lot of clarity? That you still found yourself confused, frustrated, unsure about what to do and about what God wants? I get this question often. I mean, I think it, it happens to us all the time, and we all have different decisions to make, all kinds of decisions throughout the day, and sometimes we're faced with a really big decision that's really tough to make, so we go from person to person asking advice to advice to advice, and it gets more and more confusing because all of those people we ask tell us different things, and we care deeply about their opinions, and so now we're even more confused, and we say, God, please give me a sign, but we just aren't sure about what's a sign and what's just us overanalyzing. And it's difficult to make decisions according to God's will because I believe most of us, as we try to make these decisions, find ourselves in a place of spiritual blindness. And we don't realize how blind we are, but we're unable to see. We're unable to see clearly God's will. We're unable to make these decisions with confidence. I believe many of us don't realize the effect of spiritual blindness in our lives. A couple of things that may bring some spiritual blindness to us are sin, our selfishness. We don't realize that when we are living a life of sin or selfishness, it's more difficult for us 
to discern God's will. Sometimes spiritual blindness comes from fear or maybe from doubt. And we don't realize that whenever we are crippled by fear or doubt, that it is more difficult to discern God's will. Sometimes it's, it's unforgiveness. We're holding a grudge against someone, and we don't realize that whenever we hold on to these grudges, it's more difficult to see clearly God's will in our lives. And sometimes it's just unhealthy attachments. Sometimes we are attached certainly to sins, but even things that are morally neutral, but still unhealthy and they're distracting us and they're just, it's taken away our focus off of God and therefore it becomes more difficult for us to discern God's will clearly. People come to, to me and other spiritual leaders all the time asking for answers. They want us to tell them very clearly and very quickly because no one has any time. And they say, just tell me, what does God want? And the great temptation as, as a spiritual guide is to just share my opinion like everyone else. Let me just share that quickly. I'll tell you. But that doesn't actually do anyone any good because it's just one more opinion to throw into the bucket, and that is so confusing. There's all these opinions swimming around. But real discernment, real sight actually begins with letting go of sin of figuring out if, if you're being crippled by fear or doubt or unforgiveness or unhealthy attachments. And so when you come to me or someone else like uh, that, that, that truly wants to, to walk with you in discernment, the real answer is to regain your sight so that you can see clearly and then make your decision in freedom following the Lord's will. We don't want to just blindly obey the person that tells us the opinion that sounds the most attractive. We want to see. We want to see with the eyes of faith. And the only way to do that is to restore our sight by letting go of our spiritual blindness. So how do we do that? It's very simple and very complicated at the same time. <laughs> but very simply, it's just simply to bring it to light. Bring it to the light of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. And so as we are trying to make a decision, it may seem unrelated that you also are having trouble forgiving someone that's hurt you. But I bet you that it's having a big influence on this decision. And so we bring that unforgiveness to light. As you're trying to discern, you know, maybe a, a career path and a professional decision, it may seem unrelated that, you know, you're attached to this very unhealthy sin. But I bet you that it's coloring your lens and making it more difficult for you to make this decision. And so we bring that sin to light. It may seem unrelated that the fear of suffering or the doubt in God's providence is coloring your decision about what to do in your family. But it is, because all of it's related and interconnected. Bring it to the light of Christ. So my prayer today is that, that we would, if we're facing a difficult decision right now, that we would take a, a deep breath and almost step out of that decision for a moment and simply just bring our hearts to light. Just, just bring all of our sins, our unhealthy attachments, our unforgiveness, our fears, our doubts, our uncertainties, all of that, bring that to the light of Christ. 
Bring that to the altar. Bring that to the encounter with Jesus and let him shine light in your darkness. And once he turns on the light switch, healing becomes, I mean, sight becomes so much more clear. Decisions become so much more clear because we recognize how crippled we were in spiritual blindness. So today I just invite you to bring whatever it is that's causing your spiritual blindness to the altar so that all of us may be set free and make decisions with spiritual sight. Amen.